At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Now, <laughs> should we start over? No, no, we're going. <laughs> Are we just getting better quality now? Well, no, it's double recorded now. I forgot the the, okay. the damn red button. <laughs> but um, the, uh, you know, I think I think looking back on it, on my experience and you with yours, you know, we we want people to not suffer, right? have a good experience, not suffer as much as you can. If something bad has happened to you to quickly navigate that and get on with a productive and successful life that's pain-free as much as possible mentally, emotionally, and physically. So I think we're doing that today, which is going to be, you know, and the great things about these two is they go on forever unless someone hits delete, of course. I, um, it's interesting that law of attraction isn't completely bullshit. You know, there's actually something to it. Uh, I had uh, a good friend of mine who undoubtedly, he might even be listening to this live right now, Aaron, but um, but he uh, says, you know, what you should do, eh? <laughs> He's Canadian. <laughs> what you should do is um, get a bunch of uh, Olympians on. You know, have you ever had an Olympian on? I said, well, Theo is an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, yeah, right. But uh, he says it, just kind of put it out to the universe. And now, and then, then I'm like, wait a second, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to Ruben. Right. There you go. And then. Uh, Big Ru- shout out to Ruben Gonzalez. Ruben. Fucking man. <laughs> he is so great. And then he uh, just, he saw my mission and vision. He's like, okay, I got to support this guy. Yeah, there you go. So it connects me with you, connects me with um, Christina. Yeah. And. Boom, I'm, yeah. I've got a lineup of Olympians who are going around the corner. And my first thing my wife asked was, well, what's the tie-in? <laughs> you know, it's because I got a very specific mission and vision, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And from my perspective, um, and, and I'll tell you, man, uh, P- recovering from an OSI, from an operational stress injury, PTSD, PTSI, whatever the fuck you want to call it, mm-hmm. recovering from a trauma injury mm-hmm. is a bitch. Mm-hmm. It is the ugliest road. Um, like I've done some tough shit in my life, mm-hmm. you know, not just as a soldier, but just in general. I've mm-hmm. done some tough, challenging shit. Mm-hmm. And um, like, oh my God, am I going to be able to survive this kind of shit? Mm-hmm. Nothing comes close to um, to trauma recovery. And I think there is an easier way. Part of what, you know, 160, or coming on to 170 episodes here mm-hmm. is is the exploration of is there a better way bad mm-hmm. is there an easier path to this and um and and i am finding some better ways than than what i've been through mm-hmm. as far as recovery but either way it's a big big challenge and that's the tie in because you can't you have to perform at an elite level mm-hmm. <laughs> to really recover from this which is why unfortunately a lot of people never will well and that's been my I would say like the last, so, so last 20 years I've been coaching, like coaching athletes and, and my, 
you know, I, so I competed in the Olympics in Luge in 1994 and finished fourth for the U.S. And I was also, before that, I was a high school American in the sport of field lacrosse and was probably going to go to college to go D1 to play field lacrosse, which was my dream, which I never went back and did. And um, so I've always been a coach and my parents were both teachers. And, and so I've always found being able to articulate something in a way that somebody gets it and they get better. I think that's a, that's a great life skill, you know? And, um, and, but so I wrote a book, an athlete's guide to winning in sports and life a couple of years ago. And, um, and then I, um, and that I was really proud of that because that hit number two on Amazon and sports psych when we launched, which was sweet. Yeah. That is no small feat. Thanks. Um, I was pretty proud of that. And, and, but one thing I find a little frustrating talking to athletes about young athletes is that we, we don't necessarily, um, when you're young, you're full of piss and vinegar, right? And you don't really know what the hell's going on. You don't really know what you're, you know, you're pursuing a goal of whether it's a medal or, you know, a goal or you're trying to run fast or whatever it is. And I felt like that was, um, there's a lot of stuff in that book that, that applies to people in general. And so my transition lately has been about transitioning just, you know, so I work with athletes and parents. And what was funny was I found when I was dealing with parents about their athletes, I was realizing that a lot of the things that the parents are trying to teach their athletes, they lacked. And so now I've kind of forced this into this. I, I've researched a lot because I've really kind of struggled with this, this idea of like when we talked before we hit record about, so you can have post-traumatic stress. You can also have, so, but some people can have a similar experience and not go, you know, not go down a bad path, but can go positive. They can take that traumatic, that same traumatic event and, and take it for good. But then there's all this research now, which is kind of fascinating about post ecstatic discovery. Yeah. When you and I were chatting the other day, that's the first time I'd ever heard that. Yeah. It's fascinating. And that, that is fascinating. And, and I get it, yeah. you know, cause once you've been on, um, a war isn't just about, you know, the ugly shit, you know, the, the, the horror and the trauma. Um, there is an ecstatic part that the tree, tree huggers are going to hate me explaining it. Uh, and by the way, I fucking love tree huggers. <laughs> they're, they're not always so fond of me, but, uh, but, uh, but, but, but I love them. Uh, Harry Pitts and all. But um, w- when you are in that insane level of adrenaline, Right. Um, like for me, it was a peacekeeping mission, so it was very different. Um, We're Canadian, uh, so it's like everything's. Well, no. Uh, the, the <laughs> Afghanistan mission, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah all yeah, all yeah, my sure. uh, brothers and sisters that were there that, that are doing straight up combat. Yeah. I was in a combat zone, but I never fired a shot. Mm. But at the same time, I was shot at, and I'm walking around in a, in a, wearing a blue hat, which always feels like you're wearing a target. Right. <laughs> And uh, you're in a bright white vehicle, you know, you're not feeling overly secure. And uh, you got bullets bouncing off the side of it, uh, tink, tink. And you're sitting there wondering like, oh, well, turns out the armor seems to work, tink. I wonder if they figure out, tink, that if they use a tink, a 50 cal, tink, tink, tink. Bonk. That is going to come whistling right through here. Yeah, yeah, the tink, tink is okay. The bonk is bad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
But um, uh, either way, like when you've been in an environment with bombs going off all around you, a uh, uh, couple of friends are dead, uh, legs blown off, that kind of thing, um, you miss it. Well, I think what's fascinating about that is is that when you become a soldier, and I was not a soldier, so I'm just going to assume some things. Okay, okay you, I'll, don't worry, I'll correct but, you. If, uh... no, but so 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 the first thing that comes to mind is this is this acceptance of a challenge, right? It's like I want to do this, and so it doesn't matter what it is. By the way, soldier, like sport starting a company, asking a girl out on a date, there's a sense of optimism that starts it all. And then there's then you start going down that path. You're like, oh, I'm going to try this. I want to do this, right? Now, what I find fascinating is that there's people, and being an American um, and growing up in New England, where I won't say there's a really, like it's funny, I lived in an airbase town, mm-hmm. but there wasn't was an airbase feel. Um there's some parts of the United States where it's like a military town, right? And there's people, like there's people who are born into this world who want to be soldiers, right? That's their thing. And, and so we all start out on kind of a bit of a naive path, right? So just like for you, when you finally, when you got shot at for the first time, shit got real, right? Yeah, it got real a little bit before that, but yes. But, but there's that transition point. You know, and I think what one thing that happens as an athlete is like, you know, you start something, you start doing something as an athlete and then all of a sudden you have a crash and you break something or you, you know, you twist an ankle or you break a bone, you know, shit gets real. And, you're yeah. like, and what's fascinating is that over that time, there's, there's like an internal muscle seems to grow like a tolerance and the cost benefit the value in the brain kind of goes, well, I'm still going to do this. Even though now I know that I could get shot out and get killed, I'm still doing this. This is what I, this is, and this part of your identity, right? I, in, at Vancouver in 2010, I had the best job at the Olympics. Like people don't realize this. Like people think like there's athletes and there's coaches and isn't that great. But then there's like TV cast, sports casters and things. I had the better job, which was, I was what's called a spotter. So I was hired by the production company, which is a company called OBS, the Olympic Broadcasting Service. They're out of Spain. Different from IBS. Yes, exactly. So I was on the finish dock with a portable headset. And so my job is like when you see the TV switching from athlete to you know whatever people in the stands, I was the guy that would tell the camera guy who was where. Yeah. So, you know, girlfriend, parent. It was, it was babes, babes, and babes. <laughs> it was... It was like hot girls, girlfriends or, or wives and babies. Okay. That's, that's what that was. Babes, babies and babies. But that was the Olympics where Nodar Kumaratashvili from Georgia died. So he, um, and, and what's fascinating about the Olympics, right? Is you've athletes who are trying to win and you've athletes who are just there to compete. Right. And, and the motto of the Olympic games which is just totally often forgotten is like, it's better. It's, it's about competing instead of winning. Right. So, but I had, but so, but I was in a really unique position because I am the eyes between the sport and the world. Basically, you know, I'm telling the, I'm telling the t- the cameras what to shoot at, and so I'm up on the finish dock. And um, now, mind you, my best friend is the race director. He's uh, the technical d- director. They're trying to make the fast, the track as fast as possible. And Whistler was the fastest track in the world. 
I know everybody else involved in that day, you know, and, and I know the track crew who's trying to make the ice as fast as possible. And I know all the coaches and I so I saw Nodar just before the session. And so he comes down the track, hits the, the low point of the track where they're doing just south of 150 K. I did 152 kilometers an hour there in a bobsled, which was just crazy. Like that scene in Star Wars where they're like trying to blow up the Death Star and he's like, we're breaking, breaking, stay on target, break, we're breaking. That's what it felt like all the time. Yeah. And Nodar ended up um, flying out of the track and hitting a pole and basically dying instantly. And the producer gets on the phone or on my headset and says, can you go down and help Jane? Jane, out of 52 cameramen and one woman, Jane was the only female and she was at the finish and she caught it all on tape. And, uh, I ran down to Jane and I'm in the middle of like, there's like, he fell right at the, at the feet of the, this guy named Mario Chartrand, who was the head of, um, the military or sorry, head of military, the medical, he was chief medical volunteer, but he's the head of like Whistler mountain. He's pulled more people off Whistler mountain than anybody. And he's this mountain of a man. And uh, Nodar fell right at his feet and they immediately just tried to resuscitate him, but there was no chance. But I was then thrown right down there and I'm trying to, I've got the producer in my ear trying to get camera footage, trying to tell who to shoot to what. And Nodar's dying or he's dead. And I left. It would have been pretty instantaneous. Yeah, his aorta, whatever. But the idea was, um, it was opening, it was the, the opening ceremonies were later that night. Jesus. And so this is supposed to be a great day, right? Yeah. And you're like, this shit's not supposed to happen. And so that's kind of an interesting thing about like the challenges we take on is that we start out with optimism. Like this is going to be good. Like this is right. Like this is basically going to be a good, a better experience than what I would have chosen otherwise, perhaps. Right. And then you, you, you come out of something like that and you're like, this sucks. And whether it's somebody else in, in, in this case, or if it's, if it's you and you, you have, a, a lifetime injury or trauma or, or whatever that you're reminded of daily basis, you kind of go like, is it worth it? Was that worth it? You know? And, and so, um, I find that really fascinating, but, but what I realized was like, there's somebody out there who believes like the, the kind of a motto I have in life is like, what's the belief I need to have right now in order to be successful in this venture. <laughs> right. And, um, because whatever you've done up until now has gotten you to here. All you can do from here forward is decide like, you know, what do I believe about my future? Like, what do I believe about the next step? And that's where like, that's kind of led me on this path to figure out for my own life. And now like, as we're doing this, like we're distillers of information to others, you know, it's like, what, what do we do to, you know, move forward, not just as best we can, but in a big, big way, right? Like, um, because I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't necessarily like to think just about like, Hey, we're just surviving here. What are, what would you say are the greatest barriers to moving forward? Well, physical pain mm-hmm. is a hell of an anchor, right? It's, it's, it, so, so it reminds you every day. It pulls you backwards, right? Yeah. So, you know, for me, um, I have chronic neck pain. I have muscle pain and, and every day I move and, and, and that's from like, who knows how many whiplashes I had competing, you know, and, and training for luge, right? Like, and, but that's not something you think about going into it, right? You're not like, Hey, I'm going to pursue this sport and it's going to give me a lifetime of pain and injury. Now, would you, would you, I think what a lot of people would tell you is like, they wouldn't necessarily have changed anything. And that's always fascinating to me is like, 
even despite all this stuff, it wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily have changed what you would have done. And, and I wouldn't have changed, but physical pain is probably the big, the number one thing I think that holds people back, especially if they've lost a limb, right? And you have that, not just that physical reminder, but that visual one, right? Oh, there used to be a foot there, right? Or, you know, I, I what was fascinating after I went to the Olympics, um, we went to the, we went to Washington. We went, to, we got a chance to go to the white house and, and we got a chance to do all these kind of cool things when it was still cool to do that. Did <laughs> to, you meet the president? We did. <laughs> yeah. It was, was it Barack at the time. No, no, this, this was way earlier than that. It was Bill Clinton. Oh yeah. And Al Gore and, and Hillary and, and, and all that. Did he grope you? No, no, it was fun, but they looked like they came out and they were looked like they were totally hammered. Yeah, it might have been. We were inside. It was raining outside, so we couldn't do it out on the lawn. And so we were in this like room, and we're all in our Olympic team coats, and we're all like ungodly hot, and we're waiting and waiting and waiting to get this like whatever this you know moment where they come out and 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 I remember like Bill Clinton and Al Gore come down this hallway. Did, did you meet Hillary? Yeah, I have a photo. Did did she smell like sulfur? No, but she looked a lot better then. Oh, okay. <laughs> she looked a lot better then, but um. Yeah, I have, a, I have a cool photo. Now, again, regardless of people's political affiliation at the time, you know, you're Olympian and you're getting to meet the president. It was like kind of, it was a cool deal, right? It doesn't get much cooler than that. It's pretty, it's a pretty sweet deal. It's pretty and, sweet. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I, but I think to get those moments are really, really cool. But to me, what's, what's fascinating is that I don't think we are told enough, at least I wasn't when I was young, People say this haphazardly. They're like, oh, the experience you're going to get in the military, you're going to learn all these great qualities that are going to take you through to the rest of your life. And I don't discount that. But what I, and they say that the same thing about being an Olympic athlete. But you don't go through daily thinking like, oh, the, like, what are those things? Like, what are those qualities I'm learning? Like, what are those those strategies and those tactics that I'm learning to overcome something? Because life is nothing but a long string of challenges. And I think the misconception is that it's not supposed to be. You know, and, and I think Hans Selye is a doctor out of McGill. You know, he's, he, he researched that the, the, the worst stress is no stress at all. Now, when people hear that, they think, yeah, but he wasn't talking about the stress I'm dealing with, right? So, so, but it's true. Like if you, so if you sit on the couch for five minutes, I was just reading a uh, about a um, scientific experiment from like the '60s, about mm. uh, the 25th dimension or something like that, and it was taking these mice. It was yeah. done with mice, and they made a mice utopia. <laughs> and um, and the mice utopia, where there was no stress, or, like yeah. everything was like perfect in mouse land, yeah, and it drove them insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they ended up like just going absolutely violent bonkers. And I don't think, yeah, you know, when you go through school, when you go through high school, you're just trying to get done with everything to try to get to this imaginary point where you now are supposed to be, Hey, this is great. Now social media hasn't helped that at all either, you know, because now you can, totally fill your feed with just looking at people having this amazing life. And you're like, well, what the hell? Well, like, why, why isn't that my life? But, the, but I think we would all be better off if we realized, and this is when I, when I wrote my book, I, 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 I've kind of developed this idea of like, I think if people took an athletic approach to life, that they would be better off. And so the first, the first thing is there is an athlete 
you have, you're basically training for two things. One is to withstand challenges. And the second thing is to take advantage of opportunity. Like that's it. That's all an athlete does. So, so if you're a hockey player and you're on the ice and you know, another player is coming your way, then that's a challenge. Can you deal with that challenge? And then, so you, now you have to develop the, the ability to deal with that challenge. But the other side of it is like, is, is we're also in life, just like in sport, we're trying to take advantage of opportunities that come our way. And so an opportunity could be a job. It could be, um, it could be something financial. It could be meeting somebody, you know, any, but, but the idea is like, you need to develop the skills with which to do those two things withstand challenge and take advantage of opportunity. Now, there's a lot of people, and you talked about like law of attraction, things like that. There's a lot of people in life that they attract a lot of bad shit to them. Mm-hmm. Like they're looking for it. And that's something where your brain, and this is science, like this is not, uh, um, your brain will look for more of what you're focusing on. Yeah, and we'll fall into either a positive feedback loop right. or a negative feedback loop. Right. And the negative feedback loops, if you already have the low self-esteem and your self-esteem is actually that you don't have low self-esteem and that's your identity, it's like, I'm special because I'm, uh, because I'm a victim. Everybody hates me, which is what makes me awesome. People do this. You know, they, it's not, they don't consciously do that, mm-hmm. but that's what they do. And uh, when they're, I've seen people fake cancer. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I actually know somebody who faked cancer. Yeah. Why? Because you fake. When I got cancer, everybody's like, "Oh, you know, uh, all this attention, all this empathy comes your way." Secondary benefits. And now it's like, well, how am I going to keep this cancer thing going? Right. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go into remission and right. then um, go back to stage two and then remission and stage two. Like, you're going to have to keep this cycle going to keep the attention going. But even, but even on a, a smaller, so, so back to that kind of that White House story. Yeah. The, the Olympic team and the Paralympic team go together. And it was, I think that was the first Olympics where they did that. Well, as it should be. Yeah, it was it was like a novel idea then, like uh, and and um, but but you know I saw like I the, that was my first real <clears throat> I once my first real experience with someone who was injured like that, but it was a lot of people, like it was like a whole team of people, like wheelchairs yeah. and crutches and you know fake arms and you know whatever. Um, but the but the idea was like here were people who were you know, and that was my first exposure to people who had gravely been injured. Mm-hmm. I mean, for various reasons. It takes a while before you're not staring. You've got well, to get used to it. But it's kind of cool because you're kind of in this environment where you can ask questions. Yeah. Right? And, 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 and that's another thing. I think when we grow up, we're, you know, we're told, you know, don't, don't stare. But really, as a kid, what's the, what you just want to be like, how'd you lose your leg? <laughs> right? Why is your eye not there anymore? Yeah. Like, those, those, are, those are valid questions. And I think if, if, if you had those, if you had asked those questions at a younger age, you'd be like more open to it and, and and but but that's where one thing's where i found out was um many years later i met a guy who had lost his leg in a car accident and and I, um i can't remember how i met this guy but i just remember this one thing that he said he goes yeah i finally stopped 
I, I finally stopped feeling sorry for myself and attracting attention. That was the key. It was the attracting attention part. He goes, because he had, he had felt like, this is where I learned about secondary benefits. And, um, and this gets really offensive for people, by the way, like they, they, they think there's no way I'm trying to get like attention because I have this problem. I want out of this problem. And yet you're getting attention. It's the number one human emotional need affirmation, right? Because affirmation provides connection yeah. and, and identity, and pe- identity. And people will find it in the most bizarre of ways. It's why, and uh, another thing we, we spoke of um, off air, Olympians do it, soldiers do it. Like, I'll hang on to my veteran status, you know. Right. Uh, and, and some people, like, they, they're wearing all the veteran gear and their vehicle's all done up, screaming right. veteran. Yeah. And Olympians do it too. Yeah. Some do, some don't. Yeah. But um, we, we hang on to the high point of what we were. Right. You know, and, and, and we hang on to that because you are an Olympian for the rest of your life. It's right. something you did. You'll always have that status, just like I will always have veteran status. Right. I only did five years. Mm-hmm. But uh, how long were you an Olympian for? You know, it's, it's a short amount of time. I met a girl years ago downtown here um, in Calgary. I was working with the guys at TCR Sport Lab, Corey Fagan and TCR. And they had a little bit of a kind of an agreement with some para athletes in town. And I remember talking to this one girl and her name totally escapes me right now, which sucks. But I remember her saying, I remember telling her, I'm like, wow, you should start a website. You should be on Instagram. You should be talking, speaking. And she this blew my mind. She's like, yeah, but I've only lost one leg. And I was floored because it, it, I was like, holy shit. In the world of people who have lost limbs, there's like, oh, well, you only lost one limb. Right. Oh, I only lost one leg. I call it the trauma Olympics. Uh, the tra- we, 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 we do it too. Right. Um, yeah. well, or, never, or measuring your trauma dick. I never know why. Like, like the one thing that blows my mind, and I don't know enough about it, but in the Paralympics, right, they, they, they basically grade you. They basically handicap athletes, right? Uh, what, what I was going to say is like for every person that um, exaggerates their injury, there's a thousand that are minimizing it. Right, and that's the same with physical injuries. The same with um, uh, with PTSD. It, it doesn't matter. Well, yeah, but I was only a peacekeeper. I wasn't in Afghanistan, right. so so my injury right. doesn't really matter. Or Afghanistan veterans saying, "Yeah, but mine was like 2012. The 2003 people. <laughs> I mean, they had a tougher they go than I did. So I really don't deserve to have." Um, because uh, it's seen as a status of some sort. The recognition. You know, I shouldn't be injured. I, I don't deserve yeah. to be injured, you know, because uh, other people went through worse stuff. And, well, I only lost one leg. Yeah. <laughs> it blew my mind. Like, it blew my mind. I remember going home that day and telling my wife, like, can you? Like, I had no idea. But but then, as you said, like, we all do it. You yeah. know, like, I finished fourth at the Olympics. Yeah. I only well, went, it goes both ways. I've I had, only went to one Olympics. Yeah. You know, but... But the, 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 the thing though that I find fascinating through all this, and, and I think what's like, we're all on a quest, right? I think we're all on a quest to figure this stuff out. And, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I'm not where I wanted to be at this point in my life. And financially, physically, emotionally, I think it ties into all those things. I mean, really, I think it's more the financial pressure that you feel in life as you go forward. And, um, but then again, it's this idea that, it's supposed to be done. 
And I think that's one of the worst lessons we are, I don't know if we're taught that or if we just assume that, that, hey, life should be a bed of roses once we're done with school. Like, hey, once you grad, you know, once you graduate high school and you go to college, then you're going to get a job and boom, boom, boom. We know that that's like, it's weird. Even though we say like, all right, well, the odds of you working within your degree is very small now. Like it's, it's not like when our parents or grandparents went to school. But I just think that, I think if we had all grown up and just been taught, hey, listen, life is a series of challenges. Some you get to pick, some shit's going to happen to you. But your job as a human on this earth is to develop the abilities with which to withstand challenge, take advantage of opportunity. That's it. You know, and that's where, that's how I've boiled it down. And, um, and, um, no one's told me I'm wrong yet, but I really think that if we just take that mindset towards things, then we, we should all be better off knowing that we have those skills with which to continue. And I think a lot of people, when they get hurt or, or, or something happens, some sort of trauma happens to them is that they feel stuck. You know, as I said earlier, overcoming, um, a trauma injury is a mountain. And this is where the whole idea of eating an elephant one bite at a time, you know, don't dismiss that. Like, cause it's on a bumper sticker. It's fucking true. When I, when I joined the army, I was just a complete jerk off in high school. You know, I graduated when I was 20 years old, you know, like I took the scenic route, uh, failed grade four, failed grade nine. Um, you know, but in, in truth, the system failed me. I didn't fail it. But um, regardless, I had to do something. So my mindset of joining the military is, I don't know where this is going, but it's better to do something than to do nothing. At least I'm going somewhere. I'm well, picking a direction. That's a really interesting, and that's a really interesting um, self-awareness moment you had. And basically, what I, I you, better do something. Well, and, and well, <laughs> what you're doing is is you're deciding on an environment, right? Like, so so one of the first steps to like if things aren't going great in your life, right, is to pick an environment. And so as an Olympian, so when I went to my, when I was in my hometown and I came back for the first time and I told all my buddies like, Hey, I'm going to do this luge thing. and we go to the Olympics. They'll be like, what the hell are you doing that for? Right? So what was really fascinating about that to me was like, that's like, so your environment is people, places, and things. Right? So you decided at that point in time in your life where it's like, okay, I'm, all over the map right now. I was going nowhere fast. Right. And to use like a bowling analogy, it's like you're bowling and you're like, I don't want to be in the gutters anymore. And so what, what can you do in some of the bowling alleys? Like they put up those rails. Yeah. Right. So you're like, at least I can bowl, but I'm not going to go in the gutter. So I'm going to go join the military. Right. So one of the first things that people need to do if they're struggling with something is basically put up their own gutters. Right, and maybe they need to move. Maybe they need they maybe they need to change their envi- environment, people, places, or things around them. Well, right? pick pick a destination or at least a direction. If you can't pick the destination, pick a direction. Well, the but that's where the environment can force a direction. You yeah. might not have the direction yet, 
you might ha- not have the destination. You might not have the vision for your own life. Well, that, that was it with joining the military. I'm like, well, this is going to be three years. And right. once I'm in, I'm locked in. Right. Like this is, a, this is a commitment. There's no way out. You know, it's the Hotel of California. And um, it's a three-year commitment. So uh, fuck it. Right. You know, but it takes courage to do that. And that's the, we, I think we talked about that on the phone. That was a, um, uh, Dan Sullivan who runs Strategic Coach. It's a business coaching um, uh, program. Uh, he's Canadian, but he's in Chicago and all over. He's global. But I heard him tell this story, and this blew my mind, because as a coach working with athletes, like you hear parents all the time go like, I wish my kid had more confidence. And I think as adults too, people say like, I just wish I had more confidence to do things. You know, I don't like, I don't like, you know, I don't like that I do things this way, but I just, I just lack the confidence to do that other thing that I wish I was doing. But it's not confidence, actually, that you need in that moment. It's courage. And that blew my mind. I had never been taught that. I learned that at f- I was 48 years old when I learned that. I'm like, where the fuck was that my whole life? Yeah. Because the, so confidence feels good. Like when you're confident, you feel good. So if I, if, so, and everybody has a something that they're good at, right? Everybody has something that they're good at. And in those moments that they're doing that thing, they have confidence. But the key is to, like, that keeps you doing those things, right? And only those things. If you want to do new things, to take advantage of new opportunities, per se, um, you need different skills. And to head into those skills, that doesn't feel good. And that's courage that you need at the moment. So like to use a really basic analogy, let's say it's like eighth grade dance, school dance, and you're going to ask a girl to the dance. Well, if you've been asking out every girl, every, like every year, you've, you've gone, you've dated all the girls in eighth grade, asking one more, no big deal. You've got confidence. But if you're not good at that, and then you go up to Sally and say, hey, will you go to the dance with me? That feels like shit the first time you do it, Right. So that's courage. And that's something I think that holds so many people back with. What do you think the key to courage is? Getting comfortable with that feeling. Getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Get, getting comfortable with, with feel, with, and, and so I, I, like, I know what you just said there. Like comfortable with being uncomfortable. But what is uncomfortable for you? So one of the things, and I wrote about this in my book, and I, and I tell athletes this all the time. I was, book plug. Book plug. Book plug. That one right there. Um, an athlete's guide to winning in sports and life. So, and I'm working on a new book that's adult based. And I started challenge. So challengemaster.ca is my website. And, and I'm starting challenge master seminars because really this is all about challenges. And so the, the thing that blew my mind. So when I first started doing luge, the way luge is taught and for those of you guys that don't might be listening and not know what luge is, luge is the winter Olympic sport where it's like in the first four days of the Olympics where you're basically going down like a roller coaster of ice and luge is the one where you go feet first on your back, feet first dressed in spandex and, and skeleton I, is on your belly head first, head first. Exactly. So yeah. they're even a little bit crazier. Yeah. People always ask me if I did skeleton. I said only by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the deal. And then I tried bobsled later uh, in my life and, and which was the best thing ever, but that's a whole other story. But, but so I, Luge is taught that there's this perfect line down the track, 
that you should be trying to go for this perfect line. And so not far too far to the right, not too far to the left, not too high, not too low. There's this perfect line. And many, many years later, actually after I'd gone to the Olympics, my doubles partner and I, we split. And I, instead of going to college and going to play lacrosse, I, I kept wanting to do illusion. I wanted to do singles. And that summer I watched the, the men's Olympic race, um, from 1994, it was the closest Olympic race in history. Georg Hackel of Germany beat Marcus Prock of Austria by like a hundredth, I think it was a hundredth of a second over four runs over two days with at an average of like 60 miles an hour or something like that. And then Armin Zogler. Now, the interesting thing about those three guys, they're all very three different body types. So Hackel was kind of built like me, like 5'8", more like a fire hydrant. Uh, Prock was like 6'2" kind of lean, lanky. And Armin was kind of more your build, like kind of lean, you know? I like you. You can be my friend. <laughs> but the thing, so I watched that tape, that VHS tape that summer over every day, multiple times. And I realized that each one of those guys came down the track differently. They did not take the same run. They weren't like, it wasn't like they were all in the same run. And then all of a sudden you saw one little blip. They all came down differently. They all went into some curves like early, late, whatever. But that's where I, I, I developed this kind of term about doing imperfect perfectly. And that was a huge shift in my life was this idea of like, okay, when you try, when someone tells you that there's one way to do things, which is how we were taught how to do luge, like there's this perfect run. When you're off that line, you don't feel good. You're fighting. You're trying to get back to the line. Whereas... Whereas what I learned watching that video that summer was the idea of like, okay, you can all come down differently, but it's about doing that imperfection perfectly, like perfect position, relaxed, um, understanding that, hey, all right, something bad might have happened to me. Like I may be, I might have screwed up this last curve or, you know, piece of snow might have fallen. I might have hit a chunk of ice or whatever. But if I am prepared for that, if I anticipate that it's coming, I can then just relax through that and have a game plan of what to do in that situation. So whenever I taught luge kids again, I would be like, all right, listen, you've got to have a game plan of what happens if this goes well, what happens if this goes shitty, like what happens if you're too far to the right, too far to the left, because you have to, if you, if you don't anticipate that, then, and, and that to tie this kind of back to our audience, you know, nobody expects to have a traumatic Nobody anticipates a traumatic event. Like you may have heard about it. You told me an interesting story about the the tripwire, but not going off. Like that's a great example because that's where it's like, even though the bad thing didn't happen to you, your brain was already ready for it. And that's, that's almost a, it, it, it can be a good, bad thing. But in life, I think the idea is that if we understand that our job is not to have a perfect life, it is a deal with imperfection as perfectly as possible. And I think if you take that attitude, then you, you look for completely different skills, right? You look, you look for, if you, because if, you, if, you, if you've been hoping for the perfect life all along and then all of a sudden something bad happens, you know, trauma, divorce, illness, like whatever, if you feel like you've totally been derailed, then you're just going to get more derailments. The um, Chinese proverb, like there's a few maxims in life and there's a few things that... Um keep coming back to me that I've always lived my life by, um, whether I understood it or not. But uh, the Chinese maxim that I've 
before I even ever heard it. It's how I was doing it. The idea of uh, in, a, in a mighty storm, which is any traumatic event, in a mighty storm, uh, this big, strong oak tree can snap off, mm. you know, because uh, it's stiff and trying to be strong and right. it's not bending to the wind. Right. Um, but the willow just, right. just bends. Just like, bends. Just, just, just not a big deal. It just kind of goes with the flow. And the, in my mind, the greatest lesson of the military, uh, especially combat arms, is improvise, adapt, overcome. You know, like Mike Tyson says, uh, everybody's got a plan until you get punched, punched in, the in the face. face. And you, and that's all that happens, uh, it, you know, in a combat scenario. It's you get punched in the face and it's like, well, now what? And you have to constantly be um, adjusting your tactics. Improvise, adapt, and overcome until you win. So let me ask you a question there. So... To use that Tyson analogy, like everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. You have to have a plan for what happens when you get punched in the face. You got to not bitch about it when you get punched in the face. Right. Because you're going to get punched in the face. Like, doesn't matter. One of the businesses that I started up, mm -hmm. right? Um, Before I started up with my my partner and my lifelong friend, um, we said, okay, if we're going to do this, let's just... Right now, before we say go and, and, and become incorporated, mm-hmm. let's just admit that we're going to get kicked in the balls and punched in the nose right. every fucking day. Right. And let's both agree that we're good with that and we're just going to roll with it. Because the only way we're going to um, get to where we want to go is to roll with those punches, right. to to take the blows and push through. And... We, we paused. It was like, hmm, yeah, that, that is starting a business. Okay, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Now, we didn't make it because you know why? Because we ran out of endurance to take the punches. Well, that, that's a very, so, okay. Because um, somebody else made it doing the same business. So one of the things that fascinates me is this idea of um, rewards. Like your brain, you you have to have rewards in a timely fashion that allows you to keep going. Because if you don't have rewards, then you need a tremendous amount of willpower. And we all know that willpower is a finite resource. You wake up in the morning excited about the new diet that you're going to go on. And by the end of the day, when you're tired and exhausted and you reach for the bag of the chips or the beer or whatever, that's a perfect example of how willpower just is, is it's a gas tank. Now, if you don't have the financial reward in that case, if you don't have, um, and, and, and some, some paths that you're on, like, let's, let's say you, you chose that path, right? Path, right? Like you chose that challenge of the business, right? So, so when you choose a challenge, you're willing to stick it out longer than if, say, you have a traumatic event that happens to you. Like if you have something that you didn't ask for and you're like, fuck, now I've got years worth of rehab, physical rehab to deal with. Um, that's going to take a certain amount of energy. But what I've been fascinated by is learning about how when we take kind of this athletic approach to life, 
or you've played and you don't even have to be an athlete. Like if someone's never been an athlete for and they're listening to this and they're like, I was never an athlete. But if you're a military person, you probably were enough of an athlete to get to, to get that far. But like some people, they've never been an athlete in their whole life or they don't perceive themselves as an athlete, but they may have played a game. Right. It doesn't matter if it's checkers with grandpa at the Thanksgiving table or if you play like Call of Duty or something like that. Games are fascinating because because whether it's you're trying to run a marathon or you're or you're you know you're playing Tetris, there's this level of optimism that allows you to start to pick up the game. Right. There's this there's this there's this optimistic attitude, however small, that this is going to be fun. The game then itself, we are accepting a challenge. And so you can apply these these types of attitudes to the things that you do in your own life, no matter how difficult. It's this idea that, all right, we're gonna I'm gonna accept this challenge. And then what's the first thing you do when you like if you ever played like a video game, like or played like NHL, EA Sport, like EA like No, just back in the old days, the Atari games, man. Right. Like River Raid and Donkey <laughs> Kong. Okay. Uh, but I, I had to go to the neighbor's place to because he had the Nintendo for Donkey Kong. That was my fave. So so some like so when you play Donkey Kong, right, you're the Don you're you're Kong, right? But like bleep, 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 if bleep, you bleep, play bleep, like yeah, bleep, bleep, exactly. bleep, 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 bleep. just was embedded in your head. But if but a lot of times when you play a game now, you get to pick your avatar, right? You get to pick an avatar. Like if you play a hockey game, it's like you pick a team that has like speed and power and shots and things like that. But like if you play like Fortnite or something like that or Minecraft, you get to pick your avatar. You ever wonder why they never show you? Like you're never an option. And huh. right? You're never an option. No one ever goes into a game and goes, I just want to be me. No, you pick somebody. Well, especially if me gets shot. Well, right, but but think about that. Wouldn't it be funny if, like, you know, in Fortnite, for, to use an example, a lot of people know, and I know Fortnite. Yeah, because they got filters on that on Snapchat, so they could do it. Oh, like, there, there, there's all, there's there's the webcam maps your face. Right. It's a whole industry of buying skins for Fortnite. Yeah, but the point the the point I'm trying to make here is that you never pick you. You pick a better version that you think is going to win the game. So. When pe- one of the first steps when people are in a, in a situation like if you if you've had a trauma and you you might just want to be back to normal you or what yeah, you- I hear that all the time I just want to be who I was that'll never fucking happen no ex- exactly and that's okay because if you overcome the trauma you'll actually become way better than you ever were right right and I and that's the shift right it's it's then then you're not you you're a better you that's 100% true. Right. So that's your avatar. So one of the things about this is that is that whatever shit you're going through, you've got to just and you can write it down. Um, you can you can create a journal, you can do anything you want there, but you have to remind yourself when something's not a habit, you need a trigger, right? So so if you don't have like so let's say let's say every day before you leave the house, you don't want to forget your keys. Well, one of the ways to not do that is you leave your keys by the front door. That's the trigger, right? So it's like, okay, the keys are there. Grab the keys. I'm going to the car. Or, or when you come in the house, if you forget to where you put your keys because you just kind of drag them and you drop them wherever, a trigger is maybe you put out a new plate, you know, or you, you screw up some hooks that you see and you, right when you walk in the door, that's the trigger. But, but, so one of the best ways kind of to, to kind of have the new you, that future you, is to have some sort of a trigger 
that reminds you of that person you want to become. Because, because if the person you are now is struggling with a trauma that you have, well, there are some people who've had a similar trauma or sometimes worse who are doing okay. I think one of the barriers is people think, well, I don't have the drive or the motivation to do that. You don't fucking need drive and you don't fucking need motivation. You don't. You don't need either of those. They're actually very, very weak drivers. Um, You don't need them. What you need is integrity to to keep a promise to yourself Mm -hmm. and then have what you call the trigger, I call the checkpoints. Mm -hmm. So when I was at my best for chin-ups... Mm. Uh, me and a buddy, we made a, made a decision and a commitment, mm-hmm. decision and commitment yeah. to keep a decision, to, to keep a commitment that's integrity. And before and after every meal, we'd hop on the, the chin up bars and do our max. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's six sets a day, three meals, six sets. Nice. And, uh, we would not go in that building mm-hmm. without doing it. We wouldn't leave that building without doing it. And we got up to 21 chin ups each, you know, like all the way, like army type. All the way down, all the way up, yep. which is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> you know, that's 30 if you if you do it like, you know, like a normal human. Yeah. But um, that was the checkpoint. Right now, I'm using that, that same trick. Every time I go to the dog park, there's four benches at the dog park. Yeah. I stop, drop, and on that bench, because yeah. that's my checkpoint, I will do push-ups on that bench. Right. Two sets of them. One on the bench and then one of tricep push-ups on, on the backrest. Yeah. I've been doing that for months. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, because, well, two reasons. One, three years. You know, <laughs> make use of my time. You yep. know, use what I got. Yep. Instead of complaining that I can't go to the gym because it's irregular, I don't know when it's open. I, I, I need consistency. Mm-hmm. When I don't know if it's going to be open this week or not, I can't right. do it. I right. just, I don't even start. Yeah. And, um... So I need that consistency. Well, I'm always taking the dog to the park. Yeah. So use it. Use is, so, use what I got. So there's a lot of fascinating lessons there. Okay, with that whole thing, the dog forces an environmental change for you. Nice. Right. So person, place, or thing. Yeah. So if you don't like where you're at, change your environment. A lot of people get dogs because they're like, "Fuck, I got to take this thing outside every day." Twice a day. Well, the good dog owners are. Right. The rest of them are assholes. Right. If you're an asshole, then that's, that's whatever. But, right, so that's an environmental thing. The second thing that you said there, which is a, a critical piece to, like, an, an athletic approach to life, right, is when, when you did the chin-ups with your buddy, that was a teammate, right? So a teammate, the idea of having a teammate is that you, is that when both of you feel shitty, one of you isn't going to let the other one down and say, no, let's go do this. Right, so the the teammate acts as a trigger, accountability partner. Yeah, yeah. Although I hate that word because I can never spell it really well. <laughs> uh, I just have to grammarly that one. Um, but the so, but that, but then there's that. The other one is physical resiliency. So one thing I find fascinating is that so when I was a young athlete, they there was the philo- and this philosophy really held true up until about ten years ago. You probably have heard it, like when you're injured, rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Sure. Right. That's not true anymore. Like, that's not, like, they don't do that anymore. And so when I had my hip surgery, um, so I had both my hips resurfaced. I was hoping your wife would get it here. We could, like, well, no, she'll, she'll, she'll be down. We could share, uh, we could share scar photos. That'd be weird. Yeah. But, uh, but the idea was, um, 
hip surgery is like the most traumatic thing you can choose to do. One of the tra- most traumatic things you can choose to do. Dude, I had open heart surgery. Fuck, oh, the, f- fuck, fuck your hip you, surgery. Did you, but you, did you choose that though? Uh, it, oh, it, was that or, it was that or death. Well, whatever, but still, mine was pretty bad too. They were both. <laughs> <laughs> are, we, are we doing the trauma Olympics here? <laughs> are you? Are we life. going for gold? <laughs> my my trauma dick's bigger than your trauma dick. <laughs> That's awesome. But but so this is this is the thing that 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 people if people are struggling right, one you need some sort of trigger to move you. Two, like a way to do that is one you have an avatar of yourself, like a new avatar, a new way that you look at yourself. And like you use the word integrity and you know, it's one thing to set a goal. It's another one to say like, I, you know, it's one to say like, I'm a, I'm going to work out today. It's another thing to say like, I am the type of person that doesn't miss a workout. There's a difference there. One is like a to-do list on your calendar. The other one is like, no, this is like the new me. Cause I don't quit. I am not a quitter. That's the self identity sure. that you need. Yeah. You know, yeah. I am not a quitter. I keep promises to myself. And that's yeah. what I was, I was trying to say earlier is uh, on Friday, I'll be at 365 days in a row of Duolingo, learning French. Nice. Now, it's been longer than that, but I've only been uh, doing it with integrity for 365 days, which means I haven't missed a day. It's awesome. Except for the odd, I got these streak freezes. Yeah, I've used a couple streak freezes. So (laughs) The uh, mulligan of Duolingo. (laughs) A a little bit. So they gave me a, you know, uh, they cut me a little bit of slack. But either way, my, my streak is 365 days as of Friday. So on Friday, I'm going to do a whole thing on it. I haven't decided what that's going to look like yet, but I'm going to do a thing. And the reason I'm going to do that thing is because I feel better about me because of, not because of, I, I can't fucking speak French yet. So it's not the destination. It's not the goal. If your goal yeah. is the destination, chances are you'll never get it. Well, your, t- your goal has to be the habit and the behavior. Yeah, because because this is where there's a great book um, uh, called um, it's it's by Dr. Benjamin Hardy and and Dan Sullivan, and it's a it's a again another Dan Sullivan thing, but it's it's called the the gap, and and so as athletes and most people in life, like we we are always stuck in what's called the gap. So like you set a goal for yourself. But then you set a new goal and a new goal and a new goal. Problem is the horizon always moves ahead of you. Like, especially for those of us that are like in business for ourselves and, and like there's this, there's always this horizon that's moving and that's really frustrating. And so what they talk about is the psychology behind like you shouldn't, but that's how all we were all taught. Like as an Olympian, it's like, okay, there's another Olympics every four years. Right. And, but what, what, what Dan Sullivan stresses and he tells a story about, uh, like a, 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 an entrepreneur that he worked with and he's coached like a bazillion entrepreneurs who came into their quarterly meeting and and everybody gets to lay out like what they did in the last 90 days and and this guy gets up there and he had done all this stuff and he was like yeah but blah 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 and, blah, blah, blah. and he's like Dan's like no you just you just mentally sucked out all the energy out of you and your team by the way <laughs> and and he's and 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 he's like what you what you need to do there is focus on what you've accomplished what you where you've come from and that might seem really strange but like if you're dealing with a trauma especially we do heal right we do heal 
the body has a tremendous ability to heal. And I think sometimes the medical community ruins that, that natural innate ability for the body to heal. Because there's amazing research, like, and, and I encourage anybody to, like, one of the things that I tell people to do is, is, that, is that if you're in any bad situation, doesn't matter what it is, and you're struggling, you need new inputs. Like, you need more inputs. If you're struggling and somebody else who has had a similar situation to you or worse is doing okay, or, or you may perceive as okay, they have different inputs. So you need better inputs. So one of the things is that there's phenomenal books out there of people who have had, like, ridiculous recoveries from all sorts of stuff cancer i think uh, what's the dr eben what's his name uh there's some great books um where people have had like instantaneous remission to like a cancer uh you know joe dispenza do you know joe dispenza's work you know those the stories there are incredible right so whatever it's inputs right so 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 the idea though is that is that is that you have to first focus on how far you've come from, like where you've come from to kind of unleash you then to the next, to the next thing. Like you said, like, you know, I think it takes that journey versus destination thing just a little bit further. Um, because some people here, like it's all about the journey. I love Grant Cardone. You know, Grant Cardone. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's like a, but he, he says, he goes, he goes, man, my journey is nothing but destinations. Like, all, you know, it's this, it's, it's this, this thing and this thing and this thing. That's the journey. Well, when you combine the, the eat an elephant one bite at a time yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all this, if you're focused on the ultimate win, you know, I mean, the win should be nothing more in my mind than the point where you make the decision. So I want to have an Olympic gold medal. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Yeah. All right. Once you decide, yes, I'm in, the the destination is now not part of the formula anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the behaviors to yeah, get yeah. there. And uh, when I was a sales trainer with Sandler Training, okay. um, I was a associate. And the guy that um, I, I worked under, Insured Park, Chad Banman, very wisely, and this is also how he trained others, he never told me what the end you know, uh, we never focused on the end goal. Every week, our weekly meeting was about behaviors. Right, right. You know, how many of these did you do? How many of those? And I did nothing more. I didn't need any fancy software. I just used little check marks. Yeah. You know, and um, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. And and use that for all the different behaviors that I'm supposed to do. Different, how many phone calls, how many meetings. Right. You know, we, we broke it down. Yeah. And how close am I to these behaviors? Yeah. And I would tell myself, I am the Wayne Gretzky of Sandler training. I am the Wayne fucking Gretzky of Sandler training. Avatar. You know, yeah, that's the avatar I decided to take. And uh, after three months, uh, the the first first bit, we went off to Baltimore for, for the awards. Apparently I'd won one. And, um, and I, I just figured that everybody gets one, you know? Uh, so from around the world, all the, all these people are here and, um, uh, and there's, 30 or 40 people just like me at the same point mm-hmm. out of 30 or 40, I was the only one on stage receiving an award mm-hmm. and the rest of them were looking at me like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I thought everybody would be on here, you know, yeah, right. but um, it was, it was because I focused on the behaviors. Yeah. So, and it's like that with every bloody thing mm-hmm. with recovering, uh, getting on the mental health path. It's about 
the integrity to yourself mm-hmm. for the behaviors. And if you don't have the, the confidence, this is how you build the confidence. Yeah. This is why I start with making your goddamn bed. People have heard this a thousand times. There's a reason that you do it in the military. You start off the day the, um, uh, with a win. You start off the day by decluttering your mind, by getting um, the checklists out of your mind. Because we all have these checkboxes in our head, whether you know you have it or not. Mm-hmm. The more tidy and organized, the less cluttered, the, the more checkboxes are, are checked. Mm-hmm. If you maintain a, st- a state of declutter, you're maintaining those checkboxes all the time. Mm-hmm. That's why you should dust and clean, because your outside environment is a direct reflection of your internal environment. Right. And it works both ways. Bob Proctor was once asked uh, by somebody, I'm just all a mess and all this stuff is going on. And, and uh, you know, what should I do, Bob? What should I do? And Bob says, what's your garage look like? What? <laughs> well, it's a disaster. I've got, uh, you know, uh, 20 yeah. years of stuff in there. Go clean your garage. What? Yeah. It's a hell type of advice. Yeah. And he's arguing with Bob frickin' Proctor. <laughs> so he goes, he cleans his garage. He, he does it, has a giant garage sale gives away a bunch of stuff yeah. and, and, and cleans it and tidies it up, calls back, Bob, Bob, it's unbelievable. I feel incredible. Yeah. I've, I've done, I've cleaned my garage. And, and he's like, yeah, because that's an outside reflection of, of yeah. your in, internal situation. Yeah. It, it's, I think when people have a, and by, by no means, none of us are perfect, but, there is definitely something to be said for that again that environmental response the what the eyes see on a daily basis i i one thing i wrote this down to talk to you about because i heard this just recently the idea of a memory like what are memories for and the because we were we were talking on the phone about this idea of like you know when you remind yourself daily of something bad in the past you're just kind of reliving that daily right and the idea of memories in psychology people um, there's a, a this 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 idea that you know memories are basically there to help us remember something to not do that again and to move on not to constantly be back in that moment. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because some people have a bad experience happen to them. Now, the interesting thing about bad experiences is that typically they're tied with a lot of internal neurochemical response, like big, big, sometimes big chemical responses, right? And the body becomes a little bit, it, 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 it wires that in, right? So whether it's a, a, a traumatic event in the military, it could be a traumatic event with uh, like an abusive parent, it could be any anything, but the idea is that what's that memory for? What are memories for? And the the mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. So you can go back to that event and think about it enough and get really, really into it and go down some deep, dark holes if you do that. But evolution-wise, the purpose of a memory is to help you avoid that situation again in the future. And I thought that's a really fascinating kind of way to look at things. So, or the positive memories to remind you that it's like, hey, you did it once, you can do it again. That's the reward. And and so yeah. a- Andrew Huberman at, St- at Stanford, uh, he's got a fantastic podcast and on YouTube and stuff. And his Instagram channel is fantastic. But 
he talks about like there's new like there's new research or actually I don't know how new it is now, but um, this idea that like everybody talks about dopamine, like yeah. the dopamine, um, and, and it used to be explained that dopamine was like this big reward at the end, but actually the brain is wired to have, and this goes back to your business story. We need little dopamine outputs along the way. Well, see. On, on my phone, I, I get back to the Duolingo, right? Yeah, yeah. It shows, like every day, it shows you, okay, congratulations, yeah. you got one more day of uh, behavior in a row. I also have my sobriety counter. So yeah. I can go to there any day and it shows me exactly how many days uh, since I've had a, a drop of alcohol, like right. a year and a half or whatever it is. Yeah. But um, the let the win, the daily win, be the dopamine hit. Right. Let the fact that, uh, hey, look, my, my, my bed's made, my bedroom's tidy, I've brushed my teeth, let those be wins, right. you know, and see them as wins. And then you get into the positive feedback loop of winning. Yeah. And uh, then you're focusing on what I have achieved, not what I have to achieve. And I found that, like, to use the uh, the alcohol one, now I don't, I don't particularly drink anymore. I drank when I was young. I find the 12 step kind of process fascinating for a whole lot of things. I always found it interesting when people said like, Oh, I'm 300 days sober. And because there's one school of thought that goes, well, you're just reminding yourself that at one point you're still an alcoholic. But then as you said, with the dopamine response, it's like, no, I'm winning every day. That's right. And so I find, I, because I, like, I find that really fascinating because the the way... Every, every day is a win. Every day is yeah. an accomplishment, especially yeah. with freaking COVID. Fuck, right. You know how much I would enjoy a scotch on the ice? <laughs> but, uh, but, and the answer to, what, to the question I just posed is mm-hmm. less and less every day. Because uh, the longer I go without it, the less... Um, the, the yes, the less I yearn for it. Which is interesting because I think some people look at it, they, they could look at it like they're still yearning. Well, what, what is I mean? the yearning? Why? The the yearning is because that would give me, uh, instead of a dopamine hit, it, 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 that would give me the, <sighs> right? Yeah. So if, if that's my catharsis, yeah. if my catharsis is in a, bottle yeah um that's why it's so goddamn dangerous you know and and it's funny i knew this as a as as a young soldier yeah you know i realized okay i'm in the army now i'm in the freaking infantry drinking is a thing Uh, and i made a decision when i was 20 years old that i would never drink um to cope like somehow i just knew this when i was 20 i'm not going to drink because i'm sad i'm not going to drink because i'm angry um maybe to celebrate but I'm not going to drink um, to, cope. to 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 cope. And I knew this when I was 20 because I had uh, two alcoholics in my family there at least, th- make that three. Mm. And um, I was self aware enough to to know that. Mm-hmm. And I would even vocalize that to the friends around me. I'll never drink to cope, and I didn't mm-hmm. uh, till COVID hit. Mm. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing. Uh, and, and it became a habit, which is why. I once, once I caught myself, I was like, wait yeah. a second. Yeah. Cause, cause like, so another thing we were talking about on the phone yesterday or a couple of days ago and, um, was, um, so I, I, I did a blog post about why athletes fail in life after sport. And one of the things that, um, that 
I've come to realize is that, you know, as athletes, and this is true for the military too, like, um, so the mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined, right? And so then what's, what ends up happening is that the mind and, and is, is kind of throws out this, what I call this neurochemical cocktail to, to the body. And so if you're an intramit, one of those, or if you're an Olympic athlete, or if you, you can be any number of things, the body starts relying on basically that neurochemical cocktail that's released by the brain. So for a lot of athletes, just use athletes as an example, is that like, let's say they play. So last night I'm watching Monday Night Football. It's New England Patriots, Buffalo Bills. Those guys will go play hard late, which totally violates like basically circadian rhythm. And so they have this massive high. And then, for example, they win. So they have even another high. Now the losing team, they have a high as well. But then afterwards, they're wired. Their wife wants to go to bed. Their friends are all asleep. Their kids are asleep, like whatever. But what do they do? They typically will go to a club. A lot of them will just go out to a club. They'll go drink, they'll party. So now you have this neurochemical high from the game, from the thing that you're doing. Plus you layer on top of it this, whether it's alcohol or drugs, to basically extend that high. Even though they're saying like, well, I, well we're up anyway, <laughs> you know, but it's not, I'm not gonna be able to fall asleep till three, four o'clock in the morning. So now you're messing with like circadian rhythm. You're messing with all this stuff. And now you, you have that, you have that massive, like exciting experience layered with drugs and alcohol. Now let's say you're done. Let's say sports is done or your career is done. And now your body's going, yo, dude, remember that thing we used to do like once a week and used to give me this massive neurochemical cocktail? Where, where, where is that? Where, 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 where is that? Oh, uh, we're not doing that anymore. And the body's like going, yeah, 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 whatever. I still like, we need something else. And so then it's usually drugs or alcohol and like Carey Price, right? This, um, who plays for the Montreal Canadiens, one of the best goalies in the sport this year, basically took time off and admitted that he's, you know, he's been doing that. Right. And so what happened, Theo Fleury was a kind of a similar story. Right. And, and, uh, but the idea is that, is that no matter what you do in your life, you end up with this, like your body is hungering for that neurochemical cocktail. A lot of people, um, when they, myself included, do the high adrenaline sports like uh, right. uh, skydiving. Yeah, yeah. You know, I only got 24 jumps because I, uh, I just got this nagging feeling like I'm pushing my luck. Really? Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, shit, uh, luge and bobsled, that's about as high adrenaline as it gets. Yeah, and I made the mistake. Like, so when I met my wife, my wife was not involved with sport at all. I met my wife on a plane from Salt Lake City to Las Vegas. Um she happened to live here, which is a city that I knew. And, but I basically stopped sport once I moved here. And this is probably a really big mistake, you know? And, and part of me was like, oh, it's time to grow up, right? It's time. I'm going to get you on my arm wrestling table after this. I got no rotator cuff. Well, you got two arms. <laughs> we'll use the arm that has a rotator cuff. But like, but that's, that goes back to that kind of that identity thing. You know, and, 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 and also I read this great book called Throne Free, which is about a, um, uh, East German discus athlete from like the eighties. 
And that's where I learned about like the, in, in communist Russia and the, the communist sports system, they used to take their Olympians and their world champions. And they used to detrain them because they realized that they were all having these athletic highs and that to just dump them off into society, that's not going to go very well. You know, so they had to have some way to, to, and whether it was another sport or an activity with which to have that, you know, that, um, there's nothing wrong with that adrenaline. Like when you're, when you're an athlete, when you, you just have to understand what's going on with it now, once you're done, you know, and, and, and a lot of athletes I know they'll leave a sport. I did this, like I came back to coach, but coaching can be weird too, because then you're like, I can still do this. The kids you're coaching are like, you all suck. I'm way, I'm better than you. <laughs> right. And that creates a frustration with you. But the idea is that I think more athletes, more people who, who have high adrenaline, you know, activities in their life. Um, when they transition out of that, for whatever reason, they need some sort of a dovetailing or they need to replace it with something that's good for the soul, but not necessarily like, you know, it's not drugs or alcohol or things like that. And that's what happens. I think that's what happens to a lot of people. Yeah. Race bikes, you know, uh, the, the crotch rockets, people do that. Yeah. As long, but again, as long as I did you, you, yeah, but, and you said a good thing there, which was, which was this idea of like, you know, at some point you had this little like value switch in your head with the skydiving. Yeah. Right. You're kind of like, uh, is this worth it? Maybe I love it, but on. I just had this nagging feeling like uh, I'm pushing my luck. Yeah. Like my, my guardian angels are tuckered out. Yeah, They've yeah, already saved yeah. my, my bacon more than, more than a hundred times. So yeah. And like, I know, I know a lot of people who, who say like, Oh, you know, a lot of athletes who've said oh, like when they have kids, you know, the kids will be the thing. That'll be their thing. And it's not the thing. Well, you, you need a sense of purpose to replace it. And that sense of purpose can come in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be high adrenaline because mm-hmm. uh, what you miss more than the adrenaline, the adrenal dump is a sense of purpose. When you are part of the Olympics, that is, I mean, come on, it's epic, right? It's epic, iconic, all these big words. Cause it's true. You're a part and, and being in the Olympic village, which I've never been. So I can only uh, imagine um, just being a part of something so big and cool, it would have to be similar uh, to how I felt as a United Nations soldier. It's like, man, you know, they, they have this big building in New York and it's, it's the UN and this big blue flag and it feels like I'm a part of something really big and important. And um, when, you, when you lose that, it's like, well, what the hell am I here for? That's that an, that's that identity issue, right? And that's the same thing that like parents go through. Well, it's a sense of purpose and contribution. So that can well, be replaced through volunteerism, through any kind of service, really. That's one aspect of it though. So you're like so so the service side that's really interesting because because as a military individual, service is a massive deal. And you know, the research that's out about like Navy SEALs like the psycho the psychology this uh, the the qualities that they show one of the major ones they show is a sense of team and that would blow that blew me away when i heard that because you know i would think of navy seals as being the most cutthroat like i'm going to win right now regardless to think that they're actually as an operator you can only win as a team right so but that, but that's what the general public doesn't fully understand that right yeah it's not chuck norris Aramia one like you can only right. w- win as a unit right uh, w- without the unit, you cannot win. Right. And so, but I think that would surprise a lot of people in the general public, right? They, they wouldn't necessarily think that that was the, 
a really massive skill that they would need, you know, or quality. Um, That's why a team of eight or 10, um, there's different people carrying different weapons with different skill sets and different positions. And that's why you have overwatch and and then you have the door kickers and, and you have inner cordon and outer cordon and, and all these things. Um, it, it, if you don't have that full team and everybody knows how the other piece of the team works and everybody knows, you know, how this mission is going to go. Um, if everybody doesn't know that and what are the immediate action drills are that that mission does not happen. Now, if you're part of those things and you take those qualities from them, right? Um, like I would almost say like in the military, that quality is going to stick with you for the rest of your life more than a lot of teammates I know. Maybe, but it's, uh, you never find it again. Well, that's you what know, was, you, you never find, I tried to find it. That's what I was I getting at. I thought I found it. Yeah. You don't find it. That's what I was getting at is because internally, you're responding to this, like, I'm part of a team. I'm just part of something big. Uh, you know, we all have the same gear. We have all the same equipment. We look like a team, you know? And then you get out in life and you're like, what the fuck's that? <laughs> right? Like, what, what, where is that? And, and it's, it's, it's really hard to replicate it. It's you know? one of the reasons transition is such a bitch uh, for, for, for so many people. But then, um, cause, and, and, and then the, the new, the fresh veteran uh, perspective is often those stupid fucking civvies, which is super <laughs> douchey. And it's also <laughs> counterproductive. It doesn't help you. No. If you're like, those stupid fucking civvies. But what they're really saying is, where's my team? Where's my team? And, that, and that's where when, you, when, when we talk about the word transition, your whole life is going to be a series of transitions, right? It's going to be transitions from to use to military into civilian life from civilian life into family life, family life. Then the kids leave, right? That's a transition. You're going to have jobs and careers and maybe businesses. And, and I think one of the worst, I think one of the worst things to talk about is retirement is it because again, it's that sense of when it's done, um, or, or this depends idea. what you think retirement is. Well, right, but you know, um, uh, what I keep hearing from people is, "Well, what am I going to do? You can only play so much golf." I've heard that exact line. I don't know how many times. Like, man, you are lacking some serious fucking creativity. If, if the only thing you can think to do with your time is golf, but I think a lot of Jesus people do, Christ. Right? I- well, I mean, that's it. But I mean, this podcast is what I'm doing with my retirement. You know, um, it, it, for me, retirement is the financial freedom to follow a purpose like this. If I wasn't uh, um, retired right now, I, there's no way in the world. But another way of saying it is financially independent. Well, right? so I, I have yeah. I have financial independence that gives me the freedom to do this show. Without the financial sure. independence, there's no way in hell I could be doing more than one a week. Right. Impossible. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And I just, I don't like using the word retirement at all anymore because I just, I guess I don't want to be, I, I, and it goes back to what we, I think one of the first topics we started on tonight, this idea of like the worst stress is no stress at all. Right. And I love, I love the line that when you, when you say that you're retired, um, 
it puts the signal out to the universe to ask for the parts back. I love that line. Like if you, if you, because a lot of people retire and then they're just kind of done, you know? And so the universe is like, well, we'll just take those parts back. And then there's so many die right off the bat. Um, <laughs> and it's amazing what can keep people alive. When uh, right. I had a surgery on, on this hand, see that big scar right there, the zigzag. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, um, I'll tell you how I got that later. But um, uh, I was not deployable. So like, well, we got to do something with you. So they stuck me as a bartender in the sergeant's mess <laughs> and a squamal. And it was the cushiest job ever. And um, so I got to know a lot of the, you know, the the senior NCOs and stuff and get along with them. But also um, uh, people that had previously served. Yeah. And uh, so they're former sergeants and warrants that are are coming to the mess. And uh, one guy was a Korea veteran. You know, sure, he's long dead now. My dad was in the Korean War. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, uh, so this guy was a Korean veteran, um, really nice guy, got along with him, but he told me that if, you know, if I wasn't coming here every day, I'd probably be dead because I'd have fuck all to do between that. And he, and he had this little farm, he had a few goats and sheep and stuff. Um, so that kept him going. It's like, well, I got to stay alive so I could feed my goats or feed my sheep. Right, right. You know, I've, I've, I've got a purpose. It's not just something to do. It's something purposeful to did, do did you see that tom hanks movie that was just came out which one? Oh shit what was it called it just came out like he was a. Uh, he's basically he's an engineer and he um uh he's an engineer and he's like a robotics guy no i haven't seen this one it just like it was just out on like disney plus or something whatever and, and uh it's 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 a cool movie and uh i won't give away the whole story but um but he uh he there's been some sort of like sun blast that hits the united states and so he lives EMP, yeah, solar flare. Yeah, like massive. And so he lives I think he's in St. Louis or something. Oh, I saw the trailers for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he um um but he basically builds this robot and you're kinda like, why that you know, why did he do that? And it's to take care of his dog. But there's I won't give away the story, but there's a whole story around the dog. Hmm. And so it's this really like purpose moment that and so once you know, so anyway, I, I don't want to give away that. Look, look, look behind you right now. What you doing, puppy? There's a no, no the 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 deer. Oh. Did you see the deer? No. Anyway, tell him to look behind himself. He, he looks at the dog instead of the deer. I can't turn my neck. There's a great big buck. So oh. what just walked by was um, uh, on St- uh, on Stephen Colbert's show. Yeah. I just did a thing on the the deer in, in Okotoks with the Christmas lights on his head. It just walked fucking by and you missed it. <laughs> totally missed it. It's a, it's a buck with a great big rack on him. And Christmas lights on his antlers. He just strolled by or uh, <laughs> strolled by the window. He's famous. He was on the Colbert Super show. Famous. No, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, I think I think, and that right there is the importance of communication and opportunity. <laughs> you just told me to look and not look at what. I should have said the deer. You're right. <laughs> but then, then my dog would have freaked out and barked. Gotcha. Squirrel. What? What? Did I just throw us right off the rails? I sure as hell Sorry, did. sorry. So, well, to, to bring it back around, I think for the people that are listening, um, you know, we, we, we touched on a whole bunch of things, but, but the idea of if you're struggling, 
it's that idea of integrity and just basically going like, okay, what's the avatar I want to be? Like, what's the new me? And it's got to be better than the old you, right? Um, and that's, and that can be really hard to envision, but you've got to do something daily to remind yourself of that vision, right? Now, I don't get into gratitude and things like that. I, I for for that avatar though, and yeah. and, and the, like there, there, again, there's not a lot of maxims that I adhere to. Yeah, like not not very many absolutes. I find absolutes are usually moronic. Yeah, but uh, one that seems to be an absolute, and I've, I haven't had anybody uh, show me otherwise, is that you can only rise to your level of self concept. So if you think you're a three out of ten, that's it. That's yeah. that's as hard. Yeah. That, that that's as high as you can rise. Or if you deserve if, to be. If you see yourself as an Olympian, then you that's the starting point. If you if you can't imagine yourself as an Olympian, then you fucking won't be because you can't possibly you can't picture it in your head. And that's where, and can the, I add to that uh, in, in a second? Oh, don't, don't. Uh, <laughs> hold on to your horses there. <laughs> but. Um, because of, of rising to the level of self-concept, that limits the avatar that you pick, that you decide to be. So to raise your level of self-concept, which is, which is critical, that's where anybody can do that with the decision of making promises to yourself. Little, that's back to the small promises. doesn't matter what they are, whether you're learning another. It's when you see that, yes, every single day I'm making my bed. Every single day I'm doing Duolingo. Every single day I'm not drinking. Mm-hmm. Every single day uh, I'm brushing my teeth. When you, it's those habits that create the confidence. The higher the confidence, the higher the avatar that you are able to pick. And what I would add there is if you're struggling with the avatar... Is you get my is you get around people who have been the same or worse off than you, who have been able to make those choices, right? So that's that that goes back to that environment piece. Well, Greg Reed's rule of five, right? Uh, we we, we uh, th- he talks about the rule of five a lot. It's it's one of his tropes, but the the rule of five is that you're a direct reflection of the five people you spend the most time with yeah. you know in income yeah. attitude yeah, yeah, yeah. happiness everything so pick your environment based on where you want to go not on where you used to be yeah get yeah. be ready to get rid of uh, friends even the ones that you love and are completely and totally loyal to get ready to drop them like a hot rock because if they aren't going if they're not also on the journey i've lost the the most wonderful beautiful friends that i've loved like crazy because there was no choice but to lose them and when right. i wasn't when i wasn't willing to let them go yeah. the universe came up with a with a plan to kick them out because if i kept if i hung on to them I would stay where I was and I wouldn't be able to go to where I'm going. The only people that I can associate with are people that are also going somewhere. Somewhere, And they're excited about their journey. They like that I'm encouraging them and they're excited about my journey and they're encouraging me. Bob Proctor talks about this too. You know, if you want to grow, prepare to lose the friends that aren't willing to grow. It's that life, the lifeguard principle. You heard that one? No. Life, lifeguard principle. Like if a lifeguard jumps in the water, if you're flailing, oh, they don't save you. No. They take off. Yeah. Because we're not both dying 
Yeah, you're not going to take me down with him. Yeah, and that, but that's really hard for people. And that kind of goes that that's this also that secondary benefits thing. I, uh, so I had a conversation this past year with a with a with a the parents of a collegiate athlete who had had a concussion, and but the timing of the concussion was such that it allowed this athlete to get out of a pretty negative situation. And and I said, and the, again, this is <laughs> I venture down these paths, right? But the idea was. Um, I said, uh, you know, I don't think she has as bad a concussion. Like, so she's home, she's resting, she has a concussion. That's that. But I was hopeful for the fact that the concussion wasn't as bad as maybe it was thought to be because there was a really big secondary benefit to her being home was that she was out of this other situation. So, but the flip side of that is that some people will maintain their identity that they're injured or they're sick yeah. or they're troubled. Like the cancer guy because, I told them. Because they have those the, that secondary benefit of the attention. Uh, you know, uh, this kid that I know recently, it, his girlfriend. It also happens with injured veterans. Uh, oh, sure. uh, people, uh, it, it actually happens with PTSD. Uh, people will hang on to it yeah. because yeah. the injured veteran status, uh, they like it and they want to keep it. It well, makes them special. And if there's any sort of other benefits, you know, that come from it. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. You got to be, too, and you, and it's it's hard to admit that because a lot of people get really like, no way, I would never. But know, people do, and people I see do. it. Yeah, and I, and I, and I'm self conscious of it. It's like, am I doing that? And then uh, something will happen. Go, oh, okay, <laughs> right. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but and and I think the people that the people that uh, that do express those problems, like the, the, if they do take those secondary benefits, yeah, they it takes them a longer time to finally go. Oh yeah, fuck, I'm done with this. Right, I don't want to be that person anymore. Uh, like if, and especially if you have a loved one who likes you when you're sick or injured. Well, that's codependency, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's 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 a fascinating twist, and I think I think to to wrap this all in a nice little bow, it's this idea that that you need the abilities, you need to develop the abilities to go from here forward, whatever those may be. You know, like whatever, whatever got you here won't get you there. Right. But the idea was like, you were probably poorly taught when you were younger, that that's what this is all going to be. You're going to have challenges that you pick. You're going to have challenges that you wouldn't wish on your worst, on your worst enemy, but yet here you are. And so the idea is to move forward. You need to develop the, the, the abilities with which to, to move forward. And that's going to take some time. And that is our time. We're, I'm going to put, put the bow in it right there. But we wait, we got, we got 20, 19, 18, no. you, you, you wait until it hits so one thirty. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards, it's Olympian, awesome. author, success coach. Thank you, thank you for being here, brother. Challengemaster.ca, come find me. Challengemaster.ca, it'll all be in the show notes. Yes. Roger that. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and Olympians. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click 
follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.